It's been said that life is the sum of all of your decisions. Or maybe another way to say it is to say this, is to say your decisions determine your story. Your decisions determine your story. In other words, what I mean by is the person that you are, where you are in life, the places you are going, the places you have been, everything that makes up your story from birth till now, for by and large, sure, there are some exceptions to the rule, but for by and large is a result of the thousands and thousands of daily decisions that you have made to get you to where you are. In fact, I would argue that as we begin 2024, you might not realize this or not, but you are only one decision away from changing your life forever, for good or for bad. Why? Because your decisions determine your story. Which leads me to ask this question this morning as we get started, what story do you want to tell? When you look back at your life, the person you are becoming, the person you want to be, the person your, your kids will talk about, the person your grandkids will talk about, what story do you want to tell? If you are joining us for the first time today, or maybe you came at Christmas at the Mount, and this is your first time in person with us, I want to say welcome. My name is Adam, and I am the lead pastor here. And today we are beginning a new series titled This or That. And what we are going to do is over the next couple weeks for the month of January, we're going to be talking about decision making and how we make better decisions. But we're going to look at them through kind of a, a biblical lens and take biblical principles because I believe with everything in me that if we can grasp this concept, this topic, and hear what Scripture says and begin to apply it, our life will be radically different. Why? Because your decisions determine your story. And don't miss this. Here's the fascinating thing to me is regardless of what researcher you look at, most researchers estimate, and I have no idea how they know this, but they estimate that the average human being makes somewhere around 35,000 decisions every single day. 35,000. That is an astronomical number to me. Now, some of those decisions, a lot of those decisions are the like mundane, like habit-forming, everyday decisions that we almost don't even think about. They're kind of like an autopilot decision where we're just going through the motions. But some of those decisions could be those life-changing, big, life-altering, destiny-determining decisions that we wrestle with for, for hours and weeks and months and years sometimes because decisions are important. Decisions like, where should I go to college? Or should I even go to college? If I do, what major should I be? Should I date this person? Should I not date that person? Should I be a commander's fan in public or just in private so no one knows? Should I, should I get a new car or keep the old car? Should I get a, get a roommate? Should I re-enlist? Should I go for 20 years or get out after a couple? So what should I do? Should I, you know, go back to school? Should I eat more pizza? Do I really need more pizza? But that second bowl of ice cream, should I have that? That sounds good. Should I get married? Should I work remote? Should I work commute? Does the Cowboys win against the Lions really count? What job should I take? Are we ready to have kids yet? Are we not ready? What should I wear tomorrow? What toothbrush should I buy? What toothpaste should I buy? Do I really need to floss that often or is my dentist just selling me things? What should I do? I'm so confused. When should I retire? Where should I retire? And what should I do when I retire? And the list could go on and on and on and on. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that this morning the majority of us have some sort of decision that we need to make. 
And here's the reality. There is power in our decisions. There is power in our decisions. Our decisions have tremendous power to change and mold the story that we are becoming as a person. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Adam and Eve, the two first people in the garden, they're living in this place of absolute perfection and absolute peacefulness. And Adam, as the first man, he has been strictly told by God that there is a set of rules and regulations and boundaries, and they're quite simple. Adam, you can do whatever you want. Just avoid this one tree, the fruit from this tree. Do whatever you, you have immense freedom and immense opportunities to avoid this one thing. And so Adam, in that moment, is faced with a choice, a decision, the choice to trust and obey what God wants or to do his desires and his will and his thing. And Adam decides to pluck the fruit and eat from it. And because of his decision, because of his choice, sin and death enter the world. Fast forward a couple thousand years later, and a guy by the name of Jesus, who scripture describes as the second Adam, is in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's faced with the exact same choice, the exact same decision that Adam, the original Adam, was faced in his garden. Do I trust and obey what God has planned for me, the will he has for my life, or do I take this and do my own thing? And he decides to trust and obey. And what happens? His one decision, his one choice erases death and sin in the hearts of people who call out to him. Our decisions have power. You can see this and by the name of two guys, by the name of Jacob and Esau. In the Old Testament, there's two guys, and they're, they're both brothers. They're born from the same father, and they're born just moments from each other. And Esau is the older of the brothers. And in his ancient kind of patriarchal culture, as the older of the two brothers, Esau was what was considered the birthright. He had the, the blessing and the inheritance that his father would give. And so what this means is that Esau, because he was born first, he would receive all the family wealth. He would receive all the family livestock, all the family treasures, all the family land. He would be the guy who would get to kind of rule as the patriarch over the family. His future was set because his father was rich. He had everything and anything he might need one day. But in scripture we find out that Esau comes back from the field one day and he's tired and he's hungry and he's really hungry. He says he's famished. And Esau goes to his brother and in essence he trades, he chooses, he decides to forego all of his future inheritance to meet his immediate need of a bowl of soup. And it's funny, if you read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 17, when it's reflecting back on this period of Esau's life, it says this about him. It says, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. For even though he sought the blessing with his father with tears, he could not, what he could not do, he could not, he couldn't change what he had done. One decision, one moment, and it radically altered his life. He trades his future for a momentary, immediate need. And the reality is that we do it every single day. We overspend our income to buy a new house, a new truck, a new boat, to take a fun vacation trip, only to damage our future financial security because we want that immediate feeling now. People don't intentionally, sure, they don't intentionally seek to destroy their marriages, but divorce happens because of a decision or a series of decisions over time that lead to a consequence. Nobody intends to live their life addicted to some sort of substance or sin, 
but as a result of a decision or a series of decisions, they find themselves trapped over and over and over again. Why? Because your decisions determine your story. There is power in our decisions. Now, here's the good news and the bad news about this. The good news is that for you and I as human beings, our capacity, our ability to make decisions is rooted in our identity. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you go back in the Bible and if you go all the way to the Old Testament, then you go back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and you go to the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, you'll find even in the first couple opening lines what the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews would describe a God. And God is described as a God who creates things out of nothing. He creates the heavens and the earth. He creates the waters and the land. He creates the birds and the animals in the sea. He creates the animals on the land, and he creates human beings. And what the ancient Hebrew people believed about this God was that God and all of his creativity was a God who made decisions. He decided to create. He decided there would be animals. He decided there would be humans. He is a creative, decision-making God whose decisions are right and good and worthy. And now, here's the beauty of this, the good news, is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we're told that you and I as human beings, we are made in the image of God. Now, that can mean a lot of different things. We don't have time to unpack all those things. But for our context today, what that means is that you and I as a human being, we are made with the capacity and the ability to make decisions in light of who God is in an honorable and worthy and righteous sort of way. We have that capacity and that ability. But here's the bad news. Just two chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve step outside of the boundaries and the parameters that God had for them, and they begin to kind of seek their own thing and do their own way and eat the fruit from the tree and they eat it, and Scripture tells us that sin entered the world, what theologians would call the fall. And what's interesting is when you read Scripture about this moment where the fall enters, it says that the earth was cursed. And while we tend to think, yes, there was sin and there was a fall and human hearts are cursed and we are cursed and we have cursed before our eternity, yes, that's part of it. But when scripture talks about it, it says all of creation is cursed. All of it is broken. That means the relationship we have, the vertical relationship that we have with God is cursed. The horizontal relationship that we have with people is broken and cursed and fallen. The relationship we have with our mind, it's broken and it's cursed. This also means that our ability and our capacity to make righteous and good decisions is cursed as well. Because here's the bad news. We are bad at making decisions. We're bad at it. And I know what you're thinking. You may be like, Adam, you don't know my job. I make decisions every single day and I make good ones. That's true, you might. But scripturally, you are bad at making decisions. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to take a couple minutes, and we're going to kind of do an overview today, and I'm going to give you one kind of very practical biblical principle as we start this series. And the first thing I want you to see is, why are we so bad at making good decisions? The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this, is we suffer from decision fatigue. We suffer from decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is a term that researchers have used to describe what happens when we make too many decisions. And regardless of the study, they've, they've studied and analyzed this over and over again. And the science behind it basically says this. It says that the more decisions that we have to make, the worse our decisions become. 
In other words, we get tired, we get overwhelmed, we get stressed. This is why you can make really, really good decisions all day at work and you can stick to your diet really, really good and then nine o'clock at night you're eating an entire tub of ice cream. You're fatigued, you're tired. Remember, on average, we make 35,000 decisions every single day. I read a recent study by Cornell University, and I didn't believe this study at first because, you know, studies, you never know what they're saying, but Cornell University said that the average American makes 200 decisions on food every single day. And I thought, 200 decisions on food, that, that feels a little extreme. So I did an experiment. This past week, my family was out of town, and I decided I am going to pretend I'm going to make an apple pie. I'm not making a Thanksgiving dinner. I'm going to make an apple pie. And I want to see how many decisions I have to make just to make an apple pie. I'll spoil it for you and then tell you the details. Just to make one apple pie, I had to make 27 decisions. Let me walk you through this so you can get the feel. First, I had to decide which grocery store I wanted to go to. Then I had to drive there. I won't count all the decisions I made on the drive there, all the directions, all the traffic, all those kind of things. That's, that's cheating. That's not part of the shopping. So I made the decision on the grocery store. I pulled into the grocery store parking lot. I had to make the decision, which door do I use? Where do I park based on what door I want to use? So I found my parking spot. As I'm walking into the door, I had to decide, do I want to use the cart, you know, the thing with the wheels, or do I want to use the basket that I hold with my hand? I was tempted to use the basket, but then I thought, I don't know how many items I'm getting. I never made apple pie before. Maybe my arm's going to get tired. So I put it down and got a cart. And lo and behold, the very first cart I pulled out had one of those wonky wheels. And so I had to decide, am I the guy that's going to drive through the store going, right with the whole cart thing? Or am I going to put this back for the next person and take a different cart? Then I pull out my list. And I've got to decide which items and what order I'm going to do my shopping I decided I'm going to do my produce first, and I head over to the produce section to get my apples. There are a lot of types of apples. I don't know if you know this. I, I made a list just so, like, there were Lady Gala, or Pink Lady, Gala, Honeycrisp, Macintosh, Red Delicious, Fuji, and Granny Smith. So I had to go and pick out which apples I needed. Then I decided I'm going to head over, and I'm going to pick out um, the, the flour that I need. And I get to the flour aisle, and there's almond flour, coconut flour, whole wheat flour, enriched flour, bleached flour, self-rising flour. Then I have to decide, do I want store brand or name brand? So I head over to the eggs next. And it was small, medium, large, extra large, organic, cage-free, free-range, whatever. Like, and there was all this combination of all these different things. And I like, then I still had to go get the dough and the nutmeg and the cinnamon and the lemon juice. Then I still had to go to the front and pick out which line I wanted to do and which items I wanted to do in each order. By the time I left that place, I was so exhausted, I just wanted to go home and take a nap. I had decision fatigue. I was tired. Soren Kierkegaard, a famous Dan D Danish theologian, says it this way. Anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. The idea is that we live in a culture, in a world right now, where we have more choices, more options, more decisions. We have more flexibility where we can go for school, what we can do for work, who we can date, who we can marry, where we can retire, what we can eat, how many restaurants. We have so many decisions That's what it's leading us to is to become so anxious from all the choices we're overwhelmed and fatigued. This is why sociologists have invented a new term called Netflix paralysis. It's that feeling you have when you're at home and you begin watching Netflix and you're looking for a show 
And you can't decide because there's so many shows you might want to watch. Because in your mind, you're thinking, if I start this one, what if it's not good? I just wasted 30 minutes. Or what if I get three episodes into the season? Do I finish it? Do I not? And you just become paralyzed and indecisive. We suffer from decision fatigue. And here's the problem with this. Because we become so overwhelmed and fatigued with all these decisions, our brain in order to help us reduce the number of decisions we want to make so that we can make better ones, begins to go on autopilot. And we begin to default to what's normal and routine for us. And this is why you can say, I'm going to be a different person. But when you're tired and fatigued, you do the same thing over and over and over again. This is why so many Americans can travel all over the world and pass up every good local coffee shop just to go to Starbucks because they know the size and the drink they like. It's routine. So first, we suffer from decision fatigue. Secondly, we're afraid of making the wrong choice. We're just afraid of making the wrong choice. We become so addicted to clarity for some of us. Like, we, we don't want to make a decision until we get enough information, enough data, enough research. We want to make sure we know all the possible outcomes, everything that could happen. Man, a couple years ago when I lived in Little Rock, you can ask my wife about this. I was, uh, we, we needed some grass, and I decided I was going to plant some grass, and I needed grass seed. I wasn't going to be like a sucker and buy sod. I was going to do this myself and plant the grass. And I spent month after month after month analyzing and researching and getting information on different types of grass seed. Why? Because I was so afraid that I was going to waste so much money planting grass that it wouldn't survive through the winter or through the summer that I researched and researched and researched to where I could barely even make a decision because I was so afraid of making the wrong choice. And for those of us that are Christ followers, and this one's even harder because we say, I don't want to make the wrong choice and miss God's will. Right? Like, God has this perfect plan for my life. There's this, 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 this one that I'm supposed to meet out there. How do I know? Like, maybe this is the open door God has for me. Maybe this is the closed door God has for me. How do I know if I should or shouldn't? And we think that God's will is this thing that if we miss it, our life won't be perfect the way he wants. And it's like God's will is like this, this national treasure maze puzzle that we have to solve and figure out the clues to. And only when we solve it do we get it just right. And I want to tell you that's not how God's will is, and we can't talk about all that. But God's will is not for that. But what it does is it leaves us paralyzed and indecisive. And in a turn, indecision becomes our decision. And we freeze. And year after year after year, we stay the very same person just drifting to where culture and our friends and those around us tell us to go without ever making a decision because we don't want to make the wrong one. Third, we put way too much trust in our emotions. Way too much trust in our emotions. We live in a culture that says, man, just go with your gut. Like, trust your heart. Whatever your heart says. Scripture says your heart is the most deceitful thing in your body. Don't trust it. But we live in a world that says if your emotions are telling you that, it must be true. It's your truth. And so we go with it. And we do this in big decisions, but even the, the small ones. We can be at home and our significant other, our spouse, and they can say something. And there's this thought in our mind. It triggers something. And we say, oh, 
they probably didn't mean it that way. It's not that big of a deal. It's not personal. Just let it go. But our emotions are saying, she totally meant that. This means war. Get ready to throw down on her, right? Like, and we have to wrestle with, do we trust our emotions or do we trust the logic that we have in our mind in those moments? And lastly, we just don't want to let anyone down. We make bad decisions because we don't want to let anyone down. For some of us, we are so, we so value the approval and the validation and acceptance of others that we cannot make a decision if it lets someone down. And so we, we please people. And we make bad decisions or we make no decision at all. Your decisions determine your story. What story do you want to tell? So here's what I'm going to do. Throughout this series, we're going to look at several ways we can make better decisions. But today I want to give you one simple biblical principle that I think can help us. And it's taking, if you're taking notes, you might write this down. We need to decide now what we will do later. We need to decide now what we will do later. Let me give you some examples of this principle from Scripture, and then I'll unpack it in a practical way. You see this in the Old Testament book of Daniel. If you're unfamiliar with the story, the book of Daniel is a book about the nation of Israel during Daniel's time where they had this neighboring country known as the Babylonians. And the Babylonians had this this practice, this, this accepted mode of behavior where when they wanted to invade a country, they would go in and kill quite a bit of people, but then everyone else they would take captive and hostage and move them back into exile or captivity to their nation, their capital back in Babylon. But what they would do is as they were doing that, they would find people who they thought were extremely important in the host country they were trying to bring back. They might find the people who were the wealthiest, the smartest, the brightest, the most artistic, the most uh, educated, the most good-looking, whatever they happen to be. And they would take those people and they would put them in this kind of special training thing that lasted three years where they would work in the royal palace and they would learn the customs and the culture of everything there was to know about the Babylonian culture. They would have to fully assimilate so that the hope was that everyone else who got taken hostage with them would look and say, man, they're thriving, they're doing good. Look, if we accept Babylonian rules, we'll fit in just like them. But the, the rule was, in order to be one of these people, you had to knowingly and willingly forgo all of your original plans, your original customs and all these things and completely assimilate into the culture. And in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, we see this situation where Daniel and some of his friends have been picked into this program. But look what it says about Daniel. But Daniel what? What did Daniel do? Let's try this again. What did Daniel do? Daniel resolved. Some versions of the Bible say Daniel determined. Daniel planned ahead. Daniel decided ahead of time is the root word in the original Hebrew. Daniel resolved. He planted his flag. He decided. He determined. He made a decision before he got there that he would not defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself. Daniel decided ahead of time before he got to Babylon. When I get in this position, this compromising situation... I will decide ahead of time my values and beliefs, and I will not bend or yield those. I will decide ahead of time. How'd this play out for Daniel? Take a look. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Daniel's decision, God blessed. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them to his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. 
The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and his friends. So they entered the king's service. Don't miss this. The Daniel that we know, his story, the lion's den, the furnace, all of that stuff is a result of verse 8. If Daniel had not decided ahead of time in verse 8 that he would not compromise in that situation, we would not know his story. He would be another Hebrew boy in Babylon. Your decisions determine your story. Decide now what you will do later. Another example. You see this in the life of a person by the name of Ruth. Ruth, her book is uh, the book of Ruth, and it's this conversation where Naomi and Ruth are having this thing, and Naomi is trying to do something, and she's sort of like, I don't mean this weird way, she's sort of like old yellering uh, Ruth. She's like, no, don't follow me. Run away. Skit. Get out of here. And Ruth is like, no, I'm not going to leave you. And look what Ruth says. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, she decided. Where you stay, I will stay. Decision. Your people will be my people. Decision. And your God, my God. Decision. Where you die, I will die. Decision. And there I will be buried. Decision. It continues. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi heard all this, when she realized all this, that Ruth was what? What was Ruth? She was determined to go with her. She stopped urging her. Ruth basically says to Naomi, listen, it doesn't matter where we go, what we do, how hard it is, how easy it is, how big the mountain is, or how deep the valley is, I'm with you. I've decided now that I am walking with you. I will decide now what I will do later. Another example of this. You can see this in the book of Joshua, and some of you are very familiar with this passage. This is Joshua 24. It says this. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all your faithfulness. So Joshua is talking to the nation of Israel, and they're at this moment where they're kind of torn between their false gods and the real God, Yahweh. And he says, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. And serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites. And whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. Joshua says, listen, I don't care what culture says. My house is serving the Lord. I'm deciding now, not later. He says, I don't care what happens to my kids, your kids, my grandkids, your grandkids, our king, whatever. No, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One last example. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph is an interesting story because Joseph was this guy who rose to power after an extreme, un, unrealistic expectation, situations almost. He rises to power and Joseph gets in this place where he's kind of like the second in charge almost. And he's working in the house of this guy by the name of Potiphar. And everything is going well and great except for one thing, one big snag. Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph. And Potiphar's wife is always trying to seduce him. She's always trying to get into bed with him. And so Joseph does this. Take a look at this. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And what did he do? And he, he kept out of her way as much as possible. In other words, Joseph said, 
this is a tough circumstance, a tough situation. I'm going to decide now to keep my distance. I'm going to decide now to not get involved. I'm going to stay out of the way as much as possible. And here's what's fascinating to me about all these characters. They all decided ahead of time. They didn't wait till they were fatigued and tired and overwhelmed. They didn't wait until their emotions were pure and raw and uncontrollable. They decided ahead of time. Why? It's as if they knew that temptation, why wait and fight it later when you can eliminate it now? Don't miss that. Why fight a temptation later when you can eliminate it now? Your decisions determine your story. How does this play out for us? This means that maybe right now there's a decision you need to make ahead of time of what you will or won't do in certain circumstances or situations. Maybe there's a certain sin in your life and you know every time you're put in that situation or that circumstance, no matter how much willpower you think you have, you're going to fail. Maybe decide now to avoid that situation. Maybe you're like me, you know, Adam, like for me, it's like, man, I'm at home and no one's there and it's late and I have my phone and I'm in my room and I just end up looking at things I shouldn't look at on my phone. Okay. Maybe you decide now to not put your phone in your room at night. You eliminate the temptation now. Maybe for you, you're like, man, how do I, how do I make sure that my marriage is okay? How do I protect it? You decide now what situations you will or won't put yourself in with someone who is not your spouse. So that when you are in the moment, you don't have to figure out and decide. You eliminate the decision because you've decided ahead of time. Teenagers, how do you remain sexually pure? Listen, listen, you don't wait till you're on the couch watching Netflix with your arm around her and her hand touches your leg and starts moving up and down and the hormones are bubbling and going crazy. You don't wait till then to remain sexually pure. No, you decide ahead of time, I'm not even gonna put myself in this situation. I'm going to decide now what will happen when we are alone on the couch. You pre-decide, decide ahead of time so you don't have to worry about the emotions and the fatigue and the heartache and the turmoil because you make bad decisions in the moment. You want a better relationship with your spouse or your kids? Decide now what you will do to make it better. Don't wait till the end of your day when you come home from work and you've made 19,000 decisions and you get home and your kids are asking all these questions and then you say, man, I really need to spend some intentional time building up the relationship I have with my family, but I'm too fatigued to decide to do it, so I routinely just go to what's normal and default. No, you decide ahead of time. After work, we're doing this every week. On this day, it's consistent. You want to have a better relationship with God? You decide ahead of time what you will do. We live in a culture where, for many of us, we decide our meals for the entire week and we plan them out. But we don't decide or plan out how we're going to feast on Scripture at all. You decide now. Every spiritual great in the Christian faith had what they call a rule of life. They decided ahead of time, this is how I will intentionally build my relationship with God. You want to build community. Maybe you're looking at 2024 saying, man, we would love to be more connected to people. 
Maybe you joined a small group or you joined a build class. If you're like most people, you joined it, and then what happens is the night, if it's if your build class or your, your small group's on Tuesday night, you show up on Tuesday night, and you get home, and you've exhausted from work, and the kids are this, and you got sports and all this, and you look at your spouse, you look at each other, and you say, are we going to go tonight? And you're like, no, I'm just too exhausted. I'm too tired. No, no, no. You decide ahead of time. Hey, honey, every Tuesday, it's not a conversation. We know we're going. Because then you look back in a year, and the decisions you make are the story you get to tell. So here's the question. What do you need to decide today? What do you need to decide today? What decision do you need to make ahead of time to help you pursue, follow God, and be a better person this year? Don't hope for a better year. Decide. Don't hope for a better you. Decide. It's that simple. Don't hope for a better relationship. Decide. Don't hope for better kids, decide. Don't hope for a better job, decide. You have to decide now what you will do later. And here's the good news, I wanna close with this. As bad as we are at decision making, the good news is that our salvation is not based on our ability to make decisions. It is based on the fact that Ephesians 1.11 hints to this in certain translations, that God decided ahead of time to send his son to die there is power in a decision. Your salvation, your eternity, is not based on your decision-making skills. It's based on one decision, the greatest decision you will ever make, to surrender and trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the way you in Scripture give us such beautiful Examples of people who are faithfully leaning into this principle of deciding ahead. As we continue praying, maybe in this moment right now, you are here regardless of what campus you were at, and there's a decision that you know you need to make. Maybe there's just something about your life you want to change. It's your health, maybe it's your finances, it's a career, it's a relationship, it's a sin struggle, whatever it is, and you know you need to decide now you're going to change it and do it differently. I would love and be honored if I could pray for you. So if you're here today and you just, you have this decision you're wanting to make and you want to change something and you need to decide now, would you just be just in a moment of transparency, raise your hand so I can pray for you. Hands all over the room. If your hand's up, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for every hand that is raised. God, that you, um, that you would give us clarity. By the power of your spirit, we would be people who make wise decisions. God, I pray we would have the, the resolve of Daniel in compromising situations. That we would have the, the persistence of Ruth. God, that we would, have the, we would have the obedience of Jesus in the garden. God, that we would be people who make wise decisions that we write our story according to you. As we continue praying, maybe you're here today and you just need to make the biggest decision of your life, to surrender. Listen, I don't know where you are in life, but I know this, Jesus is waiting for you. 2,000 years ago, he sent his son, or God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth 
and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the age of 33, he went to a brutal, agonizing, painful death for you and I, for our punishment, for our debt that was owed to God for our selfishness. But three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin, defeating death, so that you and I, today as we begin 2024, if you have not done before, you can call out and decide to surrender to him. Your decisions change your story. If you want to make that decision today to follow Jesus for the very first time in your life, just in the stillness of this moment, would you just right where you are, be bold and raise your hand. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I see your hands. If your hands are raised, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, I am a sinner. Jesus, I need your love. Come into my life. Today, I decide to surrender to you. Be my king and my savior. And everyone said, amen.